Good morning, this is Dana Hornby, and you're listening to The Calling, where we explore the lives of people who've been called to various types of ministries in their churches and in their communities. This morning, we're here with Reverend Rick Frazier. Rick has two churches that he pastors. One is Lancaster United Methodist, and the other is Brush Creek. If you are in the area for Lancaster, that will start at 9.30 on Sunday mornings, and then Brush Creek starts at 11. Introducing you to local church and community leaders, The Calling. Thank you, Rick, for being with us today. You're welcome. So I understand that I'm pronouncing the name of the first church incorrectly. Tell me how that's properly pronounced. It is pronounced Langster. Langster. It reads Lancaster. Okay. I always assumed it was Lancaster. Lancaster. Okay, because it is um, L-A-N-C-A-S-T-E-R. Yes. Okay. But if you are from there. Yes. Or from that area or really anywhere in Smith County. Okay. It is Langster. Langster. Gotcha. So that's like maybe some people would say Cookville and others would say Cookville. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm from Knoxville. But every now and then I hear myself saying Knoxville. I'm from Knoxville. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, Rick, where are you from? I am from Nashville. 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 Well, Nashville's changed a lot since you were there, I bet. Oh, it has. What did Nashville look like when you were there? Uh, I spent the first 30 years of my life there, except for when I was gone from school for a little while. But um, it was a good place to live. Yeah. I lived in the East Nashville, Inglewood area. Oh, yeah, that's great. And um, it was probably as good a place to live as anyone could have wanted. Oh, what a wonderful thing to say. And my home. father, who grew up there the generation before I did, said the same thing. Wow. But uh, unfortunately, uh, when the high school was closed, yeah. the community changed. Wow. Um, and it was, uh, I used the analogy from the movie, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. It was like Bedford Falls before becoming oh, more wow. like Pottersville. Right. And I saw that happen within a space of about 10 to 15 years. Uh, the, you know, the area is beginning to come back now. Right. But it was just very sad to see. Do you have a favorite memory from growing up in Nashville? <sighs> Probably. Um, the high school where I went. Okay. Um, my parents both graduated from Isaac Linton High School, which was a legendary high school known for its excellence in everything that it did. Okay. Academics, sports, music, you name it. It was just an outstanding public school. Right. So much so that there were people from West Nashville whose parents were affluent who had been going to MBA or BGA, oh, wow. who begged their parents to move to Inglewood so that they could go to Isaac Lytton. Wow, that says something. Yeah. The community support was tremendous there. It was nothing. It was, a, it was a relatively, by today's standards, small high school, about 400 students. Right, yeah. But it was nothing for us to have 5,000 plus people at a Friday night football game. Wow. What were you like in high school? Um, that's an embarrassing question. <laughs> uh, let's just say I would love to go back and have those years over again. Really? Yes. I wonder what you might do over. Well, I was not a Christian then. Okay. 
and um, that probably says all it needs to. Okay, we'll just leave that right and there. I would, I would love to go back and live those years again as a follower of Christ. So for those of you who are listening, just fill in the blanks there. Yes. Just use your imagination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so um, you went to school there. Did you go to college in Nashville? Yes, I did. I, um, I started out at um, a four-year Bible college okay. and uh, then went to Vol State and uh, picked up, moved around during that time and picked up some of the, some courses there for about a year and a half and then moved back and graduated um, with my bachelor's degree from Emmanuel Bible College, which is located still there. Okay. It's much smaller now. Right. Uh, they've lost their accreditation. It's, uh, the area has changed. But uh, at the time, it was a great school, and I'm uh, deeply blessed and thankful for having been there and and for the ways that it shaped me. Right. Oh, wow. Shout out to Nashville. Yeah. Good place to be. Good people. Nurturing good people. Yeah. You know, one of the things I love about Nashville now is being able to go there and hear the acoustic live music. There are some places around town where songwriters sing their songs. Mm -hmm. You'll hear... Uh, the entertainers and the performers on the radio, but when you hear the songwriters sing them, it's a different sort of uh, experience. And it's Nashville has grown so much. Uh, there's so much to do there, and it's uh, it's amazing that this is in our little state of Tennessee. Yeah, I still have just the very best memories. That's great. I'm not so sure that I would want to live there today. Yeah. But um, my memories of growing up, and a great family. Uh, both sets of grandparents lived within 10 minutes of where we did. Oh, wow. We saw them regularly, cousins, uncles, and aunts. We were all right there together in the same little community. We went to church together. We went to school together. We spent Sunday afternoons together at grandparents' houses. It was just an ideal way for a boy to grow up. That's almost Christmas card perfect. It really was. It's a very nostalgic yeah. memory, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I was, I was spoiled. You wish that for everyone. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, we remember selectively, and I'm not saying that my parents were like Ozzy and Harriet or something, but it was um, much closer to that than what you would see today, for example, on reality TV. Good for you. Uh, we had good growing up years, good parents, a good life, um, good... Um, home years. Yeah. And I really, uh, looking back, I don't guess I would want to change anything. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's so nice to hear. Well, folks, we are here this morning with Rick Frazier. He is the pastor at Langster United Methodist and Brush Creek United Methodist. We will take a short break and we'll be back in just a moment. I'm Dana Hornby. We're back with The Calling and we're here this morning with Reverend Rick Frazier, he's the pastor at Langster United Methodist and Brush Creek United Methodist. Rick, tell us a bit about how a young boy who grew up in Nashville with um, almost a Christmas card, Thomas Kincaid kind of perfect upbringing, hears a call to ministry and answers a call to ministry. I first began looking back. I'd forgotten this as I got older. But I can remember even as a young boy sensing a call to ministry. Wow. I can remember a very clear moment when I was in high school sensing a call to ministry. 
Um, now, between that time and the time that I came to faith in Christ personally and uh, began to, a couple of years later, discern a very strong sense of call to ministry, and then I guess before I got to the place that I knew that I knew that I knew that I knew, <laughs> um, I said that was the place in the time. Really? However, looking back now from the vantage point of almost 64 years, um, I, I resonate with Jeremiah where he says, you know, before I was in, when I was still in the womb, before I was ever born, you called me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's always been there. Oh, that's so wonderful. Yeah. When you were a young boy, was there a particular experience that made you think, you know, maybe God is, is asking me to be a minister? Um, I think there was, yes. Um, Can you tell us about I it? I grew up in church, of course. I mean, my family was very actively involved in, in church. And um, my paternal grandparents were deeply devoted Christians who uh, were uh, members. They were actually, they were charter members of uh, what is now Nashville First Church of the Nazarene, one of Nashville's great churches. And um, one Sunday afternoon when we were visiting that set of grandparents, we always visited grandparents on Sunday afternoons, right? both sets. Yeah. Uh, My grandmother said to me, she said, I, I just wonder, so I think maybe God might be calling you to the ministry. She saw something, sensed wow. something that I hadn't, I guess, at least that I wasn't aware of at that time. So that was probably the young boy moment, if there, is there, if there were one moment. Wow. Yeah. So if someone uh, listening to our show today is sort of feeling this nudge toward ministry, what advice would you give to that person? Um, don't be like me. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I didn't believe it. I, you know, uh, as a boy and even as a teenager, there was a certain moment as a teenager, too. I was 16. But um, every time that I began to sense strongly and there was a moment, I thought, no, there's no, I'm, I'm, I'm not made of the right stuff. Mm. Um, I, I've, I've done too many things that were not right. Right. Um, I, uh, I just couldn't see. I thought that the Lord could find someone surely <laughs> much better than myself. And so I, I don't want to say I ran from it. Yeah. I just, I, I didn't dare to believe that it was really true. I just couldn't, right. couldn't wrap my mind around or my heart that uh, God was calling me. Did you have any alternative career plans? Well, when I was um, in sixth grade, I distinctly remember telling my friends that I was going to be heavyweight champion of the world. Yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> That's a great career goal. It was. It Heavyweight was. Heavyweight champion of the world. And when I was in high school, um, I told all my friends that uh, I was going to be a roadie for the Allman Brothers Band. Uh, you know, great second choice. Uh, yes. That's a great plan B. If you can't be the heavyweight champion of the world, be a roadie with the Allman Brothers, man. 
That was it. I thought that was, you know, getting to go to an Allman Brothers concert every night, say 250 nights out of the year. Yeah. I thought that was life as good as life could get. Yeah, I get it. I had a girlfriend years ago who was a roadie with Bon Jovi. Oh, gosh. Well, well she was, I guess that's what you would call her. She was a fan who kind of stalked them wherever they would go. Um, so, yeah, I see the attraction to that. You get a concert every night. Every night. I just thought, what could be better? <laughs> Oh, my goodness. That's hysterical. So um, tell us a little bit now about uh, Langster and Brush Creek. First of all, tell us where they are. If you're listening in the Middle Tennessee area, these churches are going to be worth your drive to go check them out. So tell us where they are and a little bit about them, Rick. The Langster Church and the Brush Creek Church are both in Smith County. Uh, They're just at different ends of Smith County. The Langster Church is probably, as far as landmarks, uh, it is near Center Hill Dam, and I say near probably within 15 minutes. Okay. But both communities share something um, that, that is sort of sad, well, very sad to me, and that they were both once thriving communities, thriving small towns. And in each community, the school closed or school was closed. Right. And as you know, there's nothing that galvanizes a community quite like a school. Right. And when a community loses its school, everything else begins to siphon away. And that's what happened. In both communities, there was once a grocery store. There was a gas station. There was a bank. Uh There was a post office. There was a restaurant. Now all those things are gone. Oh. In fact, directly across the street from the Brush Creek Church are the ruins of uh, what was the grocery store, the bank, oh, wow. the post office, dilapidated buildings with all the panes of glass broken out by rocks. And now the train station, well, the train doesn't stop there anymore. Yeah. People moved away for jobs because all the jobs went. And so the communities left the churches. And really, in both communities, the church is about all that's left. Well, tell us about the church. I bet there's beauty in those churches in these small communities. There are. Yeah. There are some of the finest people I've known in both churches who I love fiercely. Yes. And uh, they are painfully aware of what what has happened to their communities. And they, I think they are aware, too, that both churches are probably in the end stage of their life cycles mm-hmm. because the, the communities are just shrilling up. However, they are, um, they're trying to hold on. And um, there, there are not very many left in each church. You know, we right. might have 15 on a good Sunday, half that, more than, <laughs> more right. than not. Right. But uh, they're precious people. They love the Lord. They're good to me. They're easy to love. And um, they've been a, a, a great blessing in my life. Great you know, Grace that's wonderful. Me. So, uh, folks, if you're listening and you're looking for small churches with no mess and fuss, with uh, good people that just come together on Sundays to love each other and love God, then then you found your place. Um, come to Langster United Methodist or Brush Creek United Methodist in Smith County. Langster beginning at 930 and Brush Creek at 11. I'm Dana Hornby, and you're listening to The Calling. We'll be back after a short break. I'm Dana Hornby, and you're listening to The Calling. 
We're back this morning with Reverend Rick Frazier from Brush Creek and Langster United Methodist Churches in Smith County. And Rick would like to share a motivational moment. What I have to share um, is a story that reminded me of a story. The other night on the way home, I was listening to um, NPR, which is what I listen to a lot. And there was an interview with uh, Elton John, who is not known for being a particularly religious man or a church person. But he told a marvelous story of a time when he was uh, deeply moved and deeply impressed by the Christianity, the genuine Christianity that he saw in a family that made him realize that um, there was something in his life he didn't have. And it was total dedication to Christ in these persons' lives that, that moved him. He was at the point of tears just sharing this story. And it reminded me of another story that I read sometime back, a story that came out after uh, the movie, you may remember, uh, Ironweed. It starred Meryl Streep uh, and, and Jack Nicholson. Meryl Streep is, um, I think, probably the greatest actress of this generation and arguably the greatest actress ever. But um, there's a scene in the movie Ironweed where she she plays a ragged derelict who dies in a cheap hotel. And there's a scene in which um, her lover, who is portrayed by Jack Nicholson, comes into this cheap hotel room and, and finds her dead in the, uh, in the bed. And in preparation for this scene, in order to experience what it was like to be a corpse... Meryl Streep lay in this bed, hugging a life-size bag of ice cubes for more than 30 minutes. And when it came time to shoot the scene, uh, two men removed this large life-size bag of ice cubes, and she lay there, cold, gray, and still looking every bit like a corpse. And Jack Nicholson, her lover, enters the room, finds her dead. He screams, he sobs, he shakes her, and through take after take after take, she just lay there, even in between takes, like an iced mackerel. Suddenly, someone on the set said to the director, she's not breathing. And he looked and he saw absolutely no signs of life in her at all. And against his better judgment, they did one more take. Same thing. Jack Nicholson comes in, he screams, he sobs, he shakes her, and she is lifeless. Only after the set was struck, and the scene was made, and the director said, cut. After several minutes, did she slowly begin to emerge from this deliberately induced coma-like state into which she had purposefully put herself. Well, the actor, the, uh, the director, I mean, was so blown away by this, he'd never seen anything quite like it. He stood up from his chair and in a loud voice said to everyone on the set, now, that's acting. That's an actress. When I read that story, it moved me 
deeply. And it's more a challenge for me, and I would, I, I guess, um, issue that challenge to anyone who names the name of Christ, no matter what name is over their church door. Total dedication always amazes people. So I would say, let's give them a good look. Mm. Let's live lives that are so joyful, that are so pure, that are so devoted to the Lordship of Christ and holiness of heart and life, that exudes such kindness and mercy and compassion and grace that people look at us and say, that's a Christian. That's Christianity. Amen. You're listening to The Calling. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Dana Hornby, and you're listening to The Calling. We're back with Reverend Rick Frazier, who is from Langster United Methodist and Brush Creek United Methodist in Smith County. And Rick, this is our last segment of the show, and it's my favorite segment of the show because I get to ask you questions, and you never know what I'm going to ask. So this is the deal. You get to plead the fifth on one of the questions. Okay? Rick, what is the best Christmas present you ever got? As a boy, as a young boy, I reached the age, and I don't remember what it was, you know, seven, eight years old, or I wanted a BB gun. Oh, yeah. Boys like sure. BB guns. Yeah. And um, my two best friends, which were a year older than me, had BB guns. And I wanted a BB gun. Sure you did, yeah. And uh, it was a Crossman Powermaster 760, I still remember. Yes. You could pump it. And the more you pumped it, the more velocity mm-hmm. you got. And this thing could, uh, you know, pierce a trash can, a metal trash can. Yes. It's a powerful BB what gun. What every child needs. Yes, exactly. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it, what's interesting is I'm not a gun person. I've never owned a real gun in my life. Yeah. But I really wanted that BB gun. Yes. And... Um, I'll never forget walking into the living room on Christmas morning and seeing that underneath the Christmas tree and the hours and hours of fun I had with my buddies. That's probably the most memorable was my my BB gun. Okay, Rick, question two. What do you think about when you're driving alone in your car? It probably depends on what I happen to be listening to on the radio at the time. Okay. If I'm listening to um, music... Mm-hmm. I'm on not, Light Rock 95.9. <laughs> well, for, <laughs> for me, it's a little more hardcore than that. Oh, okay. But, uh, Good. Classic rock. I've been a, been a headbanger since I was a teenager. There you go. Uh, and never outgrew it. I'm, I'm old enough to remember when the Beatles first appeared on the Ed Sullivan Show. Oh, wow. You were on watching? On February the 9th, 1964, I was watching. What? And I, you know, it, it literally changed the world. Yeah, it did. And I remember every song after that. And I became a rock fan after that. And and uh, so I guess when I hear songs now, yeah, um, what I think about is, you know, what age I was in, what yeah. grade I was in in school, yeah, yeah. what my life was like. It sort of takes me back to happier times in my sure, life. Sure, yeah. Okay, question three. If you were arrested for a crime, what would that crime be? Does it have to be a real crime? Yeah, probably, yes. Oh, goodness. I don't know. I know. Um, That's a hard one, isn't it? Because there's so many to choose from. Uh, well, yeah, there are. <laughs> there's so much fun that could be had. <laughs> I think probably for me, 
I was raised. I, I can remember really well my dad teaching me a deep respect for women. Yes. And he always treated my mother like gold. And I can remember from a young boy, my dad saying to me, you never, ever, ever hit a woman, ever. No matter what happens, no matter what, you just don't do it. There's nothing more unmanly than hitting a woman. And if I, I guess if I were to ever see a man hitting a woman, uh, I'd pounce. You'd take him down. I, I would probably end up in jail. Okay. You know, I think that's cool. That's a... That's an endearing quality that you would take up for others. Yeah. Okay. So let's say you were in um, an unfortunate situation. And the only way to get out of that unfortunate situation was to encounter unfortunate experiences. But you had to go through that unfortunate experience to relieve yourself from this terrible situation. Does that make sense? Sort of. Okay, so if you had to choose between getting a bucket of cold ice water poured over your head or being dumped out of a canoe into the lake, which would you choose? That's really an interesting question because <laughs> I've experienced both and with you. <laughs> <laughs> so which one was less awful? The canoe. The canoe was Because less it awful? was funny. It was just so funny. Folks, if you're listening. It was unexpected and the ice was expected. Yeah, I sank a canoe in City Lake with Rick. It was a it was quite an unfortunate experience, but most unintentional. Apparently there's something called gunnels. <laughs> and you're not supposed to step on them. So, okay, Rick, last uh last question, what's the cleanest joke you know? I may have to take the fifth on that. Okay, pleading the fifth on the last question. Rick, you've been such a joy. Thank you for joining us today. It's been exciting to hear about your years in ministry and your ministries happening at Langster and Brush Creek. I'm Dana Hornby. You're listening to The Calling. Each week, we'll introduce you to members of the community who have followed their call to serve. I'm Dana Hornby, and this has been The Calling.